Welcome to Winter Edition of On Iowa Politics for Friday, November 1st, 2019. Remember, folks, slow down, leave plenty of room when braking, and take short steps in walking on slippery surfaces, and, of course, above all else, leave the shoveling to someone else. This week, <laughs> impeachment inquiry, now it's official, when Joe Biden lost Iowa, liberty, justice, and the end of the line for lower-tier candidates. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Ed Tibbetts of the Quad City Times. Uh, good morning, Ed. Morning, James. Aaron Murphy, leading newspaper State House Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. And you can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. First up, the impeachment investigation. Now it's official. U.S. Representative Adam Schiff, a.k.a. Schiffke Schiff and the Witch Hunt King, according to the Republican National Committee, now has a license to proceed. The House voted 232 to 196 to lay out the rules for the impeachment inquiry into Donald Trump as it heads into a more public phase. And uh, does this change anything except take away the Republican talking point that the impeachment inquiry was illegitimate? You know, not really. I mean, Republicans are still going to complain about the process, um, you know, but that's what what they're really complaining about is that it's happening at all. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, I think we've seen the president's new ads, which are airing in Iowa, and uh, that that's what you see. Uh, that's what you see, a complaint that it's happening at all. Jeff Kaufman's reaction, it wasn't about the process, it's that this is a witch hunt. And he's trying to make the argument that uh, Axney and Finkenauer, what they promised in 2018, they're not following through on today. So, uh, again, um, not really about process, it's about uh, that it's happening at all. Mm-hmm. And, and Aaron, speaking of Representative City Axney and Abby Finkenauer, um, I guess it's no surprise that they voted along party lines uh, to support this resolution. But um, does this pose a problem for them as they're both running for re-election in districts that Donald Trump carried in 2016? You know, it's it's been interesting to kind of watch this play out uh, politically from both sides. And, and, and Republicans clearly feel at this point that... Um, they can use impeachment as um, a, um, a a tool in the debate, a campaign tool against Democratic can- candidates for Congress. Whether that is true, whether that is something that will move voters, I think remains a, um, an unanswered question. And, and the other thing about it is, um, regardless of the situation right now, um, look, this isn't going to, um, nobody's casting votes for a year and a week. Um, so who knows where we'll be at that point, um, in, in this. So I think that's just one of those, uh, um, situations where, like I said, clearly Republicans feel like it's a winning issue now. I don't even know if that's the case now. Regardless, um, what really matters is where things stand um, late next summer, early fall, when we're really starting to get into the um, the gears of a presidential election. And um, like I said, who knows where this thing could be at that point. And that's when 
um, it will really matter and whether we'll really know whether um, Democrats um, supporting the impeachment effort could hurt them politically. I, I think right now there's just no way to say. And I think it's also worth noting that, you know, for, for Democrats who voted for this uh, resolution, they can make the argument that they didn't vote for impeachment. This is just a procedural vote. They just want the investigation to go forward. And and, and with this resolution, they laid out the rules, um, making it a more open process. So I, I think they, you know, they can spin it that way. Republicans obviously will spin it like, uh, you know, Ed was talking about, that they shouldn't be doing this at all. Um, and, and right, Aaron, you're right. I mean, uh, a year from now, this might not be an issue, or it might be an issue for Senate candidates and not House candidates at that point. Uh, so I, I think right. it's probably too soon to know if it's going to affect the election outcome. Speaking of election outcomes, uh, Ed, uh, top Democrat, insert air quotes, are warning that former Vice President Joe Biden could suffer a devastating loss in the Iowa caucuses, finishing as low as third or fourth place. And in fact, a new New York Times, Seattle poll has him in fourth place in Iowa behind Warren Sanders and, and Buda Edge. They say uh, Biden has been, who was seen as a front, front runner even before he got into the race, is running a poorly organized campaign. He's failing to engage voters, and he's not spending enough time in Iowa. Of course, if time in Iowa were the key, this would be a three-way race between John Delaney, Marianne Williamson, and Kamala Harris. So, Ed, uh, what's happened to Biden? Well, look, I, I've always thought that Biden's numbers were artificially high here uh, in Iowa. Uh, the much of it was based on name recognition, fondness for the Obama administration, and, and a genuine affection for uh, for Joe Biden. Uh, but, you know, what we've seen is once the campaign's gotten into full swing, uh, things have evened out. Uh, and, and I don't think that that, you know, is, is terribly unusual. Um, People tend to uh, want to give a real close look at candidates, and they've done that. Elizabeth Warren has done well. Pete Buttigieg has done well. Bernie Sanders, uh, uh, you know, um, has a uh, strong base of support from the 2016 campaign. So I, what, I, what I think we're seeing here is not terribly surprising. Um, but for those um, in other parts of the country um, who, who have seen Biden sit atop the polls for, uh, for so long, uh, it kind of looks like a disaster. Um, to me, I, I think it's sort of an inevitable. Um, evening. Um, having said that, if you've got the former vice, vice president who finishes in third or fourth place, if that happens, uh, that's that's tough. And I think that's why you've seen the campaign try to lower expectations. There are 90 plus days until the caucuses, February 3rd. Are, are we counting Joe Biden out too early? Is there enough time for him to win over Iowans or at least a significant plurality of them before February 3rd? And what did he have to do? Uh, well, I, I wouldn't certainly count him out at this point. Uh, I think there's a lot of game to be played. Look, we all know that uh, people make up their minds pretty late in this process. Um, and, you know, as I've pointed out before, I think others have pointed out before, uh, people loved Howard Dean until they got scared of him and played it safe and went with John Kerry. Uh, and that happened very late in the process. Could happen again. Um, you know, maybe in the opposite direction, or, you know, maybe in, in favor of Biden. Uh, I think there are other candidates uh, out there who, who could play that role, and so that probably makes it more difficult for uh, for Biden if, if that's 
sort of the model that plays out. Uh, but I think that there's uh, plenty of time left. And as for what he has to do, uh, I think that, um, you know, any candidate who wants to do well in Iowa has to spend some time here, has to spend some time on the ground talking with people. Uh, and, and I think, too, too that, uh, you know, maybe the vice president could help himself uh, by, uh, uh, you know, by talking about things like his cancer initiative and, and things like that are very personal, uh, that are very personal to him. Something that would set him apart from the others uh, and would give people an idea of what his presidency would look like. There's some speculation, too, that, uh, you know, if the investigation, uh, the impeachment investigation continues, it could be a, a benefit to some of the candidates, including Biden, who won't be tied up with congressional proceedings. Uh, I mean, Kamala Harris, um, Amy Klobuchar are both on the Senate Judiciary Committee. I, I think Booker is on the Judiciary Committee, too. Um, you know, so if, if this moves over to the Senate and they're tied up uh, with hearings, um, they're not going to be on the campaign trail as much, and that might be a, a benefit to somebody like Joe Biden if he decides to uh, uh, move to Iowa. So You know, uh, that's... You know, I think I think that's possible, but it also provides a platform for those folks um, for something that's going to be very closely watched. Mm -hmm. Yeah, obviously, their performance there will be <laughs> scrutinized. Scrutinizing the candidates this weekend, uh, we're, we've got the Iowa Democratic Liberty and Justice Celebration, um, which seems an appropriate name since it used to be named for those slave-holding Native American-killing dead white men, Jefferson and Jackson, who, by the way, never participated in the Iowa caucuses. Uh, it will be the last <laughs> Democratic gathering before the caucuses. Uh, they're expecting somewhere around, I think, 13,000 people, about one for each candidate. All the cool kids will be there. <laughs> it's quicker to list the no-shows. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard, Joe Sestick, Marianne Williamson, and Wayne Messam. Who knew he's still running? Um, but he's not going to be there. I don't know if he knows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he probably doesn't even know about the Liberty and Justice celebration. But all of the candidates and campaigns, especially the non-front runners, like to remind us that it was at the J.J. dinner where Barack Obama had his breakout moment. Aaron, how many breakout moments should we expect uh, Friday night? Or maybe a better way to ask that is, how many breakout moments will campaigns be talking about on Saturday morning? <laughs> yeah, you, you stole what I was going to say. I was going to say, well, if I go by my email inbox at the end of the night, there'll be about 14 uh, breakout performances, uh, I'm guessing. Um I, you know, it's, look, it's going to be tough. I, I know, like you mentioned, a lot of people talk about the, the 2007 event and, and the, the huge moment that was for Barack Obama. That's going to be so difficult to have that kind of a moment in this event with such a huge field and, and so many candidates that uh, people are still um, considering. Um, that, that said, I can't rule it out either. Look, it, 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 it's, a, it's a possibility for a lightning-in-the-bottle kind of moment, and if you hit just the right chord, you hit just the right notes, um, this could be the kind of event that does uh, move the needle, needle a little bit um, in this in this race. And, and um, again, as I have been, I'm, I'm especially curious about the kind of second and middle tier, uh, those candidates that are still trying to, to climb the ladder um, and, and join 
um, you know, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg at the top. Can any of those have um, um, a big moment and uh, kind of make that top tier even more crowded? Um, and then separately, can someone in that top tier do something that makes them stand out and makes people walk out of that building, um, maybe leaning a little more in that direction? Um, it, it, this is all possible. I, I just think it's also going to be uh, difficult uh, given the size of the field. Now now they'll have an opportunity. Um, they're going to have 10 minutes each, so they don't have to slam pack um, everything into a two-minute or even five-minute um Speech. They've got time. The, the, ten minutes is a long time. Um, that's enough to, to really make an impression on people. So um, I'll be there through it all tonight. Uh, 140, or I'm sorry, 14 candidates speaking time, ten minutes a piece. A piece. Um, uh, looking forward to sitting through that, uh, but it'll be interesting. <laughs> Maybe the person who stands out is the one who speaks for only five minutes. You know? That yeah, might be yeah, there you go. <laughs> they will be. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's a big stage, if, you know, with opportunities for breakout moments. But could this be sort of a last dance for some of the non-front runners, those lower-tier candidates, um, if, if they don't have that breakout moment that we were just talking about? Um, yeah, I mean, look, uh, the best way to break out of a second division is to go on a winning streak, right? Uh, and you don't mind my changing the metaphor. Um, and if they don't, uh, then it's tougher sledding from here on out. Uh, as the time frame narrows, so does the field of vision for people. Uh, you know, I think folks like us are probably going to be watching to see what uh, folks like Beto O'Rourke and Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, and the like, what they do to uh, to distinguish themselves, because I, I think that uh, this is a uh, big stage for them to do that. Uh, if they don't, um, you know, uh, then, then it's tougher, sure. Mm-hmm. Given the conversation we just had about Joe Biden, are the stakes higher for him than anybody else tonight? I mean, does he have to hit a grand slam? I don't know that. Uh, uh, I don't know that he does. I frankly think the stakes are higher for those in the second, the second rung, the, the lower tiers of candidates. They really, I think, have to uh, have a really good night uh, to continue to be uh, part of the conversation. Uh, so that I think is is where the real pressure is. Uh, but you know, um, yeah, Biden. Uh, this is a great opportunity for Biden. Folks have been uh, talking about him as sort of a uh, a dead candidate walking for a while, at least in the media, and. He can prove to folks, um, if he has the right kind of night, um, that he's something different than, than what you're reading about. Aaron, uh, California Senator Kamala Harris uh, wants to be part of the conversation, and she's announced she's moving staff from other states to Iowa to bolster her campaign here uh, to make sure she's in the mix on caucus night. Is this a strategic move or an indication that her FBS on moving to Iowa strategy of spending 15 days of October in Iowa hasn't produced the results she wanted? Well, I think it's, it's basically an, uh, it's an all-in on Iowa uh, kind of move. I, it, it, it seems to me that the Harris campaign is, has kind of looked at, the, at things and decided, look, we need to do better than we're doing in Iowa or we're not going to be viable uh, once the nomination process moves on um and and for whatever reason um 
Harris has not been able to move his needle significantly. She's been stuck in that. Um, other than a, a little bump after the, I think it was the first debate um, when she had her moment with uh, Joe Biden, um, she's been stuck in that uh, uh, second tier, um, not really threatening the, the front runners. Um, so they've they've decided that it's time to go full grassroots. Um, really pound the, the pavement here in Iowa and, and see if they can. And look, you know, there's still time uh, if if they can make it happen. Um, she will be moving the needle in the right direction at the right time, getting hot at the end. Um, and if it's successful, you know, she somehow makes herself start climbing in the poles and up in the, you know, if even finishes, you know, third or fourth, that would be seen. Um, as we often talk about the, the caucus results are not just about the results, they're about results versus expectations. So if, if Kamala Harris has been struggling for the longest time and then at the end she makes a big move, um, even the third or fourth place finish is going to be seen as, well, look, but she, she's going in the right direction. Her campaign has momentum, and, and then maybe that can keep her um, uh, going into New Hampshire and beyond. Um, uh, I think that's the idea. That's the goal. Whether they can make that happen or not uh, remains to be seen and won't be easy, again, in a large field with a lot of candidates that Democrats like a lot. Yeah, they all have their fan base, don't they? And for our fan base, that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. <laughs> Hope it's been worth your time. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you like the show, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. Send your fan mail to oniowapolitics at gmail.com. And you can find us every week on the home pages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and Cedar Rapids Gazette. Dave Bader will take us out, you know, a band of talented Iowa musician who should be on our show. Send us a sound file and remember to follow us on Twitter and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Ed, Aaron, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. I knew it such a long time, grade school to the coast. When I was lonely in Bolinas, she was there the most. We were never lovers, you know, she wasn't that kind of friend. But unlike all the others, on her I could depend. She always had a lifeline when I thought I might drown. I cried the day we let it down. I cried the day we let it down She drifted down to Santa Cruz To find a better way And I ended up in the city Sleeping all through the days I finally got my big chance You know I couldn't make it work But she was there to help me Save me from the hurt she always had a lifeline When I thought I might drown I cried the day she let me down I cried the day we let it down Went back to start anew And she stayed out west 
I hit the books hard every day Just trying to pass the test And when she came to visit It freed me from the yoke I took a big step back And realized life's a joke She always had a lifeline When I thought I might drown I cried the day we let it down By a loser, fate I hope he meets. I still cannot accept it. That slight smile never see. No longer there to help me as she lays beneath the tree. She always had a lifeline when I thought I might drown. I cried the day we let her down. I cried the day we laid it down 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 down. 